Welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I have been reading lately. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. I had an excellent break from podcasting. It was definitely something that I needed. I wrapped up the other podcast I was working on with friends where we were watching an anime, and the anime is totally complete, and we have released all of our episodes, so it's nice to be back just focusing on this one. So let's get started. This time we are talking about Dragonflight by Anne McCaffrey. Dragonflight was published in 1968. My copy has 303 pages, and I read it in May of 2021. Our author, Anne McCaffrey, was born in 1926 and died in 2011. She is best known for her Dragon Riders of Pern series. She was apparently the first woman to win a Hugo Award and the first woman to win a Nebula Award. She was inducted into the Science Fiction Hall of Fame in 2006. This is not related to her writing, really, but her house was called Dragonhold Underhill, which I think is very cool. Here is the summary of Dragonflight. After ten long turns, Lessa was ready to come out of hiding to reclaim her birthright and to impress the young dragon queen and become a weirwoman of Benden. Suddenly, the deadly silver threads once again threatened all of Pern with destruction, but the mighty telepathic dragons that for centuries had defended Pern were now few in number, not nearly enough to protect the planet in its hour of greatest peril. Then Lessa hatched a daring and dangerous scheme to rally support from people who had long ago ceased to exist. I want to give you a content warning here at the top, because later I will be talking about dubious consent and sexual relationships. That's the best way to put that, I guess. I'll put the timestamps in the notes, so if you want to skip that part, you will be able to. So there is a kind of story that looks, on the surface, like pure fantasy. But underneath that first fantastical layer, there is a layer of science fiction acting as a foundation on which to build a world. And I think, technically, these books count as science fiction. The introduction to Dragonflight acts as our creation myth. I've said before that a creation myth can do so much world building for you, and we learn the long forgotten origins of Pern. How spacefaring settlers from Earth found and colonized Pern. How they realized that a nearby planet's orbit would periodically bring it close to Pern and would drop deadly spores through the atmosphere. How the colonists engineered dragons from wildlife indigenous to Pern how they psychically bonded with the dragons and rode them to burn the spores from the sky. Very cool. Our story begins thousands of years later, when the Pernese have long forgotten their fabled origins. 
the dragon weirs, which is what they call their dormant volcano homes hollowed out to house dragons, have fallen out of favor. The deadly spores they call thread have not fallen in over 400 years. Many wonder what purpose dragons and their riders serve now in a post-thread pern. The dragon's numbers have dwindled along with their favor. There is only one weir left. There were once six, but five of them disappeared mysteriously after the last thread fall. Falar, bronze dragon rider, is convinced that thread will fall again within their lifetime. He flies out on a search, hoping to find a strong-willed woman to bond with the new dragon queen that is about to hatch, someone who will help him gain control of the weir so that he can prepare it for the dangers he believes are coming. In nearby Ruatha, Lessa plots her revenge. She doesn't care about dragons or thread. Her goal is to reclaim her home, which was taken from her family by force ten years ago by a man named Fax. She has kept herself disguised and worked in secret all these years, waiting for the right moment. When Falar and Fax arrive on the search, Lessa seizes her chance. She uses her innate psychic power to goad the men, Fax into denouncing his right to Ruatha and Falar into dueling Fax when he attempts to go back on his word. Falar defeats Fax, and Lessa's revenge is complete. But her success after ten years of careful plotting leaves her uncertain. She never thought of what she would do after Fax was dead. Falar, though he is upset at being manipulated into a duel, sees a strong-willed, psychically powerful woman and offers her a new life and purpose. Come with him to the weir and help him prepare the dragon riders for the return of Thread. Lessa, who is full of a fearful premonition about the dangers of Thread and adrift now that her goal is complete, agrees to go with him. Lessa bonds with the newly hatched Golden Queen Dragon and years pass as she learns the ins and outs of the weir and its many traditions. She is impatient. Falar promised they would lead the weir together, but he seems to have forgotten, making no move to take control. He doesn't tell her his plans, so Lessa begins to take initiative. After all, she spent ten years engineering Fax's downfall. She's not going to just sit around and do nothing forever. She manipulates some of the younger dragon riders to raid nearby forts for food when the stores of the weir get low. For some reason, Falar is surprised when the woman he brought in specifically because of her strong will decides to do things without consulting him. I don't know what to tell you, Falar. You literally brought this on yourself. McCaffrey writes this political knife edge the weir exists on very well. They are reliant on the forts for their food. They can't risk alienating anyone, even though half of the lords would happily see no more dragons in the skies. 
Lessa's rash decisions nearly ruin the Weir's relationships with nearby forts, and Falar scolds her for it. But also, I like this about Lessa. She's not perfect. She's thrust into a situation she doesn't really understand because she wasn't raised in a weir and she's been doing things on her own for 10 years. So sometimes she makes mistakes and she owns up to them and learns from them. It's not until Lessa's queen dragon rises in her first mating flight and Falar's dragon catches her that anything changes for the weir. By tradition, Falar is now the weir leader and can begin to make the changes he promised to Lessa, preparing the weir for the return of Thread. On one hand, by the end of this book, we are all very tired of hearing tradition says as a reason for doing things. On the other hand, you understand why they are so concerned about keeping up their traditions. They are the only weir left, and weir leaders in recent years have thought of tradition as the only thing keeping them safe. The weir has withdrawn from most of Pern, keeping out of sight and hoping not to draw attention and trouble. So a huge part of this book is the relationship between Falar and Lessa. The tension between them makes up a good amount of the conflict in this book, with Falar erring on the side of tradition and Lessa constantly questioning it. They both try to manipulate each other. Lessa succeeds at this early on when she psychically provokes Falar into dueling facts, something Falar would normally never have done. Part of this story is their gradual realization that they respect and trust the other person, and that by working together they can achieve great things. That part is fine. And honestly, it's really interesting to read their journey to that point. The problem that I have is with the sexual aspect of their relationship. So if you don't want to hear about this, this is what the content warning was for. Now is the time to skip. Okay. So for some reason, McCaffrey has this hard-coded into her world. The psychic bond between dragon and rider means that when the dragons are mating, their riders are irresistibly drawn to also have sex with each other. No one bothered to explain this to Lessa. She's expected to just be in a relationship with whichever rider manages to catch her dragon. So her dragon mates, and suddenly Lessa is forced into a sexual relationship with a man she doesn't even like that much. And Falar wonders why Lessa doesn't like him, and I want to dropkick him into the sun. I don't believe we ever get Lessa's thoughts on their sexual relationship. We only have Falar's observations, and he actually compares their encounters to rape. Instead of apologizing and leaving her alone, he just thinks, oh, I'll make it good for her next time. Honestly, in thinking about this, I wonder if his thoughts on it were a subversion at the time. This was written in the 60s. Maybe a main male character actually wondering whether his partner consented rather than not caring either way was a big deal. I don't know. Eventually, 
Lessa accepts her role in the weir and stops planning to return to Ruatha, and we then see her enthusiastically consent to the relationship with Falar, and it's obvious that Lessa's eventual acceptance of their sexual relationship is written as part of her journey of letting go of Ruatha and their journey of respecting each other and working together. So from what I remember, this continues to be a element in the rest of this series. I haven't read all the Dragon Riders of Pern books, though, so take that with a grain of salt. And again, Dragonflight was written in the 60s, and I'm reading it 60 years later. A lot has changed in the world since then. Attitudes and beliefs and what's acceptable. Which reminds me that you may be tempted to pick up the Todd McCaffrey Pern books, which have been published recently, but I have it on good authority that those are actually worse, and you should not read them. Okay, you've been warned. I just didn't want to talk about this book without discussing the questionable content. I don't want you to pick this one up and be surprised, you know. As I've said before, I think it's important to acknowledge problems with books. That doesn't mean I don't think you should read them. I just think people should be informed and thoughtful about what they read. So once they start working together and supporting each other, you get to see Falar and Lessa become a team, and together they begin to question and challenge the Weir's traditions, and I liked that a lot. They're aware that they need to be respectful of tradition, but they're not just going to blindly follow it anymore. Falar supports Lessa doing a lot of things that are not traditionally done by the Queen Dragon Rider. He teaches her how to fly her dragon, including how to use the dragon's abilities to go between, to jump instantly from one place to another. Lessa is excited about the new things she's learning, and her relationship with Falar is new, and she's worried that he's going to change his mind and stop teaching her, and she decides to preempt her next lesson by jumping all the way to Ruatha. Except, she accidentally takes herself back in time to the Ruatha of her childhood. Time travel? In my fantasy book with dragons? It's more likely than you think. Especially because these really do feel more like sci-fi than like fantasy a lot of the time. Falar and Lessa don't have much time to consider the implications of time travel because Thread does indeed begin to fall. The Lords of Pern immediately change their tune, wondering why the One Weir has fallen into such decay and why aren't there more dragons to protect all of them? One Weir cannot do the job of six, cannot protect a whole continent, but they will try their hardest anyway, knowing it's their calling and duty to protect Pern. Finally working together and trusting each other, Lessa and Falar decide to send a queen dragon back in time, hoping to get another clutch of dragon eggs and bring their numbers up quickly. Their time travel venture nets them another 30 dragons, which is not bad, but it's still not enough. 
it also takes a toll on the people they send back. Existing twice in the same time puts a strain on you. They only have two more days until Thread falls again and they still need more dragons. At the end, Lessa, master of very careful planning, decides to take a huge risk. She will jump back 400 years and bring the five disappeared weirs forward to her time. Falar tells her that it's not worth the risk. They only have two queen dragons who can lay more eggs and get them more dragons, and they need them, and they can't risk her leaving. But Lessa will not be told what to do anymore. She goes, and by miracle or luck or pure stubborn will, she makes it 400 years into the past, and pleads her case to the dragon riders of the long-disappeared weirs, and tells them what's going on, that it's been 400 years since Thread has fallen, and that there's only one weir left to protect Pern. And she tells them that she believes she brought them forward in time, and that's why they disappeared in the past. Though the dragon riders don't like the idea of 400 years of inactivity and dwindling influence, there's another risk to consider. Lessa has no idea whether the weirs will make it back to the future. There's a chance that they will all die in the attempt. The one remaining weir in the future would risk everything to protect Pern, and these dragon riders from the past are no less brave or determined. They all decide to make the jump to the future. When Thread falls and Pern is in danger, dragons and their riders will risk everything to fight the Thread and save their home. My final word on Dragonflight. It's good. It's an excellent well-built world, well-executed, the consideration given to the political atmosphere and struggles alone we're faces against 400 years of inactivity, and the next books deal with the consequences of unexpectedly bringing five weirs into the future, they fixed one problem but gave themselves a lot of other problems. Just bear in mind the warning about questionable sexual relationships. If you want more media like this, specifically along the lines of humans colonizing a planet and having to figure out how to survive on it in very weird ways, I recommend Louise Marley's Sing the Light books and Ursula Le Guin's Hainish Cycle books. Join me next time to hear about Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne Jones. You can follow the podcast and my book photography adventures on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or thoughts, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.